This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Pastano by Sprinkler. On today's show, Brian sits down with Shelly Duncan, former Major League Baseball player from 2007 to 2013, and currently the manager of the Hillsborough Hops. There we are. There's Tori, there's Posada, there's A-Rod, Jeter, Robinson Cano, and then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, who's the one that doesn't belong, you know? That was a... Uh, it was a moment that I uh, I took a snapshot of, and I kept it in my memory bank. Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We're happy to be powered by our friends at Sprinkler. Follow them online at sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. We've got a fun show lined up for you this week. Shelly Duncan, former Major League Baseball player with the New York Yankees, Cleveland Indians, and Tampa Bay Rays, is going to join me. He's currently the manager for the Hillsboro Hops, a farm team of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Shelly's seen a lot. He grew up around baseball. His dad, Dave Duncan, longtime pitching coach for Tony La Russa and others. Shelly Duncan will talk some MLB playoffs with us on this week's show. I'm joined in studio by our executive director, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. It's fall. I love the fall. It's a beautiful day in Portland today. Nice and chilly in the morning and sunny. I love those days. Yeah, nice crisp day. It's the best. But uh, speaking of Shelly, I mean, the Hillsborough Hops, for those that don't know, local team here in Portland, or just outside of Portland, I mean, they're crushing it. They they have won the title how many years now in a row? For the uh, so two they or won three, I think, two right? years in a row. Yeah. They didn't win it this past year. But, you know, Shelly's made a great transition from being a player to being yeah. a manager. He's a great communicator. So, right. you know, he really is able to relate to today's ball player, great motivator, and the fact that he played the game at a high level. He played with sure. Derek Jeter and yeah. Alex Rodriguez right. and Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posada. I mean, played on a pretty good Yankees team, but then he'll also have some insight on what it's like to win with the Indians because when Cleveland is winning, that's an exciting city. We just yeah. saw the Cavs win already. Could Cleveland break through in yeah, a wow. big way this year? <laughs> yeah. And win two championships after all the futility that they had for so many years. We'll find out. Well, it's been a few weeks since we did a show, so lots has happened since that time. Let's get to some headlines. First headline, a legend is gone. Arnold Palmer passed away on September 25th. What an amazing life he had, Uh, an amazing career. When it relates to sports business, if you don't know this, if you're a student listening to this show, Arnold Palmer was really the first person who did endorsement deals. He changed how sports business was done. It used to be that you were a golfer. Sometimes you got prize money. Sometimes you didn't. You certainly didn't have endorsement deals. And the interesting story behind Arnold Palmer is that he met a guy named Mark McCormick, who became the founder of IMG. And they met while playing golf against each other in college. And McCormick was negotiating major endorsement deals that ultimately took Palmer his first two years from earnings of $6,000 to $500,000. And IMG was really formed off of the back of Arnold Palmer. And then after that, IMG signed Jack Nicklaus, Gary Player, Nick Faldo, Greg Norman, Tiger Woods, Pete Sampras, and, and many others. But Arnold Palmer was the first guy who had a private plane. He flew his own plane. Mm -hmm. He was the first guy who did endorsement deals. Again, he was really the person who started IMG. And the thing that's amazing, Griggs, is late as 2011, this is you know almost four decades after Palmer had played his last tournament, 
the guy's still earning $40 million a year in earnings off the course. Crazy. Pennzoil, Hertz, all these other companies that he was a spokesperson for. He was really relatable. Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Um, but I'll tell you, I watched his memorial service and the Golf Channel, another entity that Palmer helped find, broadcast it. And it was one of the most beautiful services I've, I've ever watched. And the, the people who got up and spoke from Sa- Sam Saunders, who is his grandson, who uh, plays professional golf and talked about how he called Arnold Palmer Dumpy. That was his <laughs> nickname. Um, to Jack Nicholas, yep. many people's choice is the greatest golfer who ever lived. Certainly, if you go by majors, Jack Nicholas is yeah. the number one golfer who ever lived. But the people who got up and spoke, I've always been someone who says that stories are what resonate with people. They are memorable. They're emotional. And every single person who got up at that service had a great story to tell about Arnold Palmer. And you saw the impact he had not only on his grandchildren, not only on his children, but on people in aviation, on people in sports business, on people in golf, all over the world. So it's truly a great loss that Arnold Palmer is gone. But boy, what a life he lived. And as many people said, well played, Arnold Palmer. Well, I think uh, you talk about wanting to live a legacy in your own life, you know, and when you're gone, you want people to you know, right. look at you as an example of whatever, how you lived your life. I mean, this guy, it was so much more in golf. I mean, it was just off the, as you saw in the memorial, I mean, everybody talked. It wasn't just about, oh, he hit the ball good. It's how he changed people's lives and how he acted and how he was as a person. And that was what, you know, resonated with me. And Jack Nicholas's was just awesome. Yeah. You're hearing him talk and getting emotional. It's just yeah. like, oh, man, it was hitting me in the heart, too. It was great. It was awesome. So Arnold Palmer won 62 titles on the PGA Tour. His last came in 1973. So think about that. Yeah. The first half of his life, he's winning titles. The second half of his life is really when a lot of people go, what do I do after I'm done in my playing career? His second half of his life, I would argue, was better than his first. (laughs) And certainly when it comes to legacy, his second half was better. And the last thing I'll say about Arnold Palmer, and I think this is the highest compliment you can pay anyone, he could sit in the Oval Office with the President of the United States, but he also could sit with the groundskeeper and have a conversation. He treated everyone the same. He made you feel special. You walked into a room with Arnold Palmer and you felt like he was truly engaged with you. And that's going to be missed by a lot of people. But what a legacy from Arnold Palmer. Our next headline, this also happened on September 25th, earlier in the day. Tragedy struck in Miami. Jose Fernandez, the bright young pitcher for the Miami Marlins, died in a boating accident. And, boy, the baseball world was robbed of a great talent far too soon. You saw the funeral on TV, what he meant to his teammates, but what he meant to that community. His story of, you know, escaping from Cuba, saving his mom when she fell off the raft. Um, You know, he had so many failed attempts to get to the United States. Then he finally got here, and to see someone's life taken so tragically at age 24... It is just horrible. I will say this. I've been to Miami. Uh, I work with a lot of pro athletes. I'm actually surprised that this type of thing doesn't happen more often in Miami because mm-hmm. some of the pro athletes drive their boats irresponsibly, I would say, in, in the Miami area. And, yeah. you know, they're out late. There's a jetty that they ran into. The boat flipped. Like, 
you have to be careful if you're anyone, but if you're a pro athlete and you've got this kind of future in front of you and you've got so many people invested in you, this type of a split second careless action can can have big impact. And in this case, a young man who had such a promising future. I was just sick when I heard about this, mm-hmm. as I know other people were too. Uh, he's gone and and gone way too soon. Yeah, it's definitely a loss for baseball. And like you said, his story was crazy. Reading back in the history of how he got over here and his mom and all that. And uh, I was impressed with how Miami handled it. I think the team yes. did an awesome job, PR yeah. wise. And yep. and the, that next game was cra- was crazy when what's his name uh, hit the home run. D Gordon. When, yeah, that was so yeah. cool. I, I mean, mean that, that was right out of a movie. It's crazy. I mean, that was cool. So yeah, guy. I think had one home run the whole year yeah. and. You know, he was so close to Jose Fernandez. And yes, I agree with you. The Marlins handled that situation very well. It's a situation as a, as an organization you hope you never have to deal with, right. but they responded to it well. Our next headline, moving away from, from tragedies, uh, Tiger Woods withdraws from this week's Safeway Open. 28,000 tickets were sold after the news that Woods would make his first appearance of the year at the Safeway Open. He was to be paired with Phil Mickelson. He was going to be on TV. Everyone was excited about Tiger Woods' return, but then not so fast. And he's not playing. We don't know when he's going to play. We know he's had lots of injuries. But, you know, the the struggles of Tiger Woods continue, Griggs, and it's it's unfortunate for golf. It is, and it's, like you said, 28,000 people, but when bought tickets because Tiger was playing, and all of a sudden you can see his impact is still there. I mean, it's it's fringe compared to where it used to be but um you know i know the pga likes him and the ratings go up when he's on and uh, hopefully he'll be back but you just never know that guy is just so flip-floppy right now it's hard to read him i will say this and and people may get upset with me for saying this and i don't know what their schedules were but at arnold palmer's service you had jack nicholas as we mentioned phil mickelson was there bubba watson was there ricky fowler was there i noted who was there nick faldo was there but I also noted who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see Tiger, and I didn't see Rory. And I was disappointed by that. And again, you know, they may have had other commitments with family. Tiger has two kids. He may have had commitments with them. But I was sad. They both had kind words to say about Arnold Palmer and had statements. But I would have liked it if they were in that service as well. And, and I... I noticed that they weren't there, Griggs. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I was, I didn't really notice too much about that, but I, I can see why you're saying that. And I totally agree. I think, uh, especially big names like that. And I know Rory put a couple of pictures on Twitter and has had some nice things to say, but you'd think that's a, I mean, that's a big event. It's an icon. Yeah. I mean, you'd think you could change the schedule to, to show up for that. Well, and think. they, they move the service because Ryder Cup, which US won, was right. the previous weekend. So instead of having it a few days earlier when, Anyone playing in the Ryder Cup wouldn't have been able to make the service. They held off. Davis Love the Third was there. Right. They held off until Ryder Cup was done to do the service, so those people would be there. So, you know, I think most of the guys that I just mentioned went right from the Ryder Cup to the service. Annika Sorenstam was there. She spoke. She was great. So, I would have loved to have seen Tiger and Rory there. Again, I don't know their schedules, but I did notice their absence. Our next headline. This is under the category of why, NFL, why. (laughs) They've released a new video policy on social media. So beginning this week, NFL teams can be fined for violating a newly introduced part of the league's social media policy. So this is according to two league memos obtained by ESPN. Teams no longer can shoot video inside the stadium during the game and post it on social media, nor can they use Facebook Live, Periscope, or any other app 
to stream anything live within the stadium. Teams also can't take highlights of what happens on the field and make it their own by using their own video or posting highlights from television directly to social media. Teams also can't turn highlights into animated GIFs. So there's fines for this. Violations of the policy will cost teams $25,000 for the first instance, up to $50,000 for the second violation, and $100,000 for each additional violation of the policy. Griggs, I don't get it. TV ratings are down 11% across Fox, CBS, NBC, and ESPN. And interest in football, this is the first year where you can go, okay, there's a little bit of a dent. Like, we're noticing the NFL has some decline here. Is it because Peyton Manning retired and Tom Brady just came back? Is it because of the presidential debates? I don't know what it is, but the millennials are interested in consuming your content on social media. I understand you have to protect your TV partners. I get that. Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, they're all paying multi-billion dollar deals. So they don't want to have any detraction from their broadcast. But I also think if you're the NFL, you're responsible to your fans and fans consume social media in big numbers. And now you're putting out these kinds of fines for basically promoting teams, players, and and things that you would want to have promoted, I, I don't get it. Yeah, and that's why we've talked about before. That's what people are eating up now is the periscope, the behind-the-scenes stuff, right. the little clips, the, the angles, the different things from here and there. That's what people are eating up, and we're seeing it with the Twitter live broadcast of things and things like that, and the interacting with Facebook Live. I mean, yeah, it's like, why shoot yourself in the foot? I, I mean, like you said, I get the TV side of it, but still, it's like a little video here and there. It's only going to help promote you. To me, this is short-sighted, because I guarantee you the networks are coming to the NFL, and they're going, look, ratings are down. We need all eyeballs on the TV broadcast. You need to remove any video that would detract from the broadcast from social media platforms with the league and the teams. So here's the exact numbers through four weeks. So Sunday Night Football on NBC, down 13% compared to last year at this point in the season. ESPN's Monday Night Football, down 17%. And it's mainly because the matchups are, are stinky, in my opinion. Uh, Sunday afternoon games on Fox and CBS are down 3 to 4% according to Nielsen data. So there are your numbers. They're down again. The NFL every year. Gosh, we've been doing this show for almost 13 years. I think every single year before this year, the numbers have increased greatly. Yeah. They've gone up. Yep. This is the first year I can remember that there's been a decline in ratings. And again, it was a high standard with the ratings. Maybe the bubble has burst, and this is going to normalcy. Maybe it's something more concerning for the NFL, but I thought this was a snap reaction. I wouldn't have put this in place until the end of the year. Yeah, See what the ratings look like at the end of the season. And again, I think you're uh, going to hurt yourself with millennials. Our last headline of the week, Sacramento Kings. They get a reported $5 million per year from Blue Diamond Almonds for the jersey patch on the regular Sacramento Kings uniform for the 2017-2018 season. The Philadelphia 76ers have already signed a deal with StubHub. Those are the first two teams that have taken advantage of the new real estate on the NBA jersey that is available for sale starting next season. So not this season that starts in a few weeks, but the 2017-2018 season. NBA teams have been given that opportunity. It's going to depend on 
which team you are, what kind of market you're in. But, you know, you see a market like Sacramento get $5 million a year. You would expect the Golden State Warriors, for instance, to potentially get 20 to $25 million a year for that real estate because you've got guys like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. They're going to be on TV all the time. But it's prime real estate. And I would say, in addition to naming rights for a building, I think this is as good as it gets for an NBA team. So it's it's pretty big revenue uh, opportunity for them. And we'll be interested to see who gets what in, in which market and who the sponsors are that see the value in being on that inventory. Yeah, I think you're right. It's great real estate. I mean, we've seen it in soccer for many, many years. And uh, the thing with uniform, I mean, it's in front of you the entire game. I mean, right. you're going to see that blue diamond almond patch the whole game. Right. So it's it's something that you're going to have exposure as an advertiser for the entire broadcast, no matter what, because you got 10 players out there, five players, I guess, depending on the team that you got it on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. And it's a small sample size, only two teams, but it's yeah. interesting to see who's signed on so far. StubHub and Blue Diamond Almonds, not your, you know, huge companies. Right. It's not Apple. It's not Nike. Nike's already on the other side of the uniform, so they're not, you know, there's no need for them to, to sign up, but it's not your major, major company. It's not Google right. or someone like that. Um, but still, to these companies, $5 million, $10 million a year, that's a lot of money for them. I would imagine that's most of their marketing mm-hmm. budget, but it's a great activation for them. And like you said, these uniforms are so visible that uh, I think it'll be a good return on investment. All right, coming up next, Shelly Duncan. He played for the New York Yankees. He played for the Cleveland Indians. He played for the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball with Shelly Duncan. Coming up next, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. Powered by Sprinkler. SBR will be right back. At Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with Sprinkler, the leader in connecting teams with their fans. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, provide in-game Twitter voting, create a dynamic social media lounge, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Sprinkler can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. With Sprinkler, teams can take social media posts from fans and display them across any screen in any venue. The cutting-edge visual displays empower fans to tell their stories in a new and compelling way. Teams like the New York Yankees, Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Sprinkler to engage their fans and connect with them at the speed of social. On top of its many features, using the Sprinkler visual display platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorship. As an example, the LA Kings sell sponsor space to Delta and other clients and run the ads using Sprinkler. Want to learn more about bringing your brand, fans, and social data to life? Schedule a demo today. Go to sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And Sprinkler gets it better than anyone. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Shelly Duncan. He played with the New York Yankees, Cleveland Indians, Tampa Bay Rays over a career that spanned from 2007 to 2013. He's currently the manager of the Hillsboro Hops, an affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can follow him on Twitter at Shell Dunk. We've become good friends. Shelly, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on and talk some Major League Baseball during the postseason. So you played for the Indians. The Indians are now into the ALCS against the Blue Jays. 
when that city's rolling, it seems like uh, Cleveland is a, a great place to play baseball. Will they just go nuts if the Indians get this thing done? Oh, man, absolutely. I, I remember playing against them in 2007 when we were with, uh, when I was with New York. We're, we played against them in the postseason. And uh, that stadium, the energy in the city is just something that isn't normal. It's, it's electric. It's, uh, it's so much fun to be a part of. It's, it's as loud as you could possibly imagine. And, uh, you know, to see them as good as they are today and the momentum they had and, you know, the type of season that they've had, this is a, this is a great time for Cleveland right now. It'll be a lot of fun to be in that city. They kind of remind me of the 2008 Tampa Bay Rays. A, a lot of no names on the team, but collectively, they're a darn good team. That's a that's a really good comparison right now. Uh, you know, the, when I watched them uh, over the course of their season, they they weren't this uh, dynamic team like the Cubs, where they're just blowing teams out, right? And, you know, walking through the division. Uh, they won a lot of close games. And um, I think that really prepared them for the postseason. Uh, they get Andrew Miller, uh, or they get Miller for the back end of the bullpen uh, to help out Cody Allen. Cody Allen is, you know, lights out closer. You know, he's young. He's got a great fastball, a good slider. Um, they've had some serious injuries with their pitching staff with Carrasco, uh, you know, Salazar. Um, you know, you got a uh, Kluber. You know, who's a, a Cy Young winner. Who's you know, been hurt. He's been banged up, and he's he's there working it for him. And Trevor Bauer's having a career year, but they're you know Terry Francona's doing an amazing job, just you know piecing everything together and you know putting everybody in a good chance to win. And you know they got veteran leadership in Napoli. They got some young energy with uh, Lindor and Kipnis, and they have a really good thing going right now. And uh, you had Coco Chris for that clubhouse. It's the, to me the, they're the team to beat, especially how they handled Boston. They're going to go into that series against Toronto with some serious momentum. That's interesting that you say that the team to beat. I, you know, you're a manager now, so you can you can talk about this. But Terry Francona, to me, obviously we know the success he had in Boston. What he's done in Cleveland, and like you said, with a lot of injuries this year, is nothing short of amazing. It seems like the good managers always figure out a way to to win. I think the the, the highlight is uh, game one, him bringing in uh, Miller when he did. Um, you know, that was something that's real taboo. Uh, Miller's got a role, late-inning uh, bullpen guy, but he brought him in and, uh, when he needed him the most, and he extended him longer than he's thrown all year long. And, uh, you know, that really uh, set the tone that we're going to take it game by game. We're going to do whatever it takes to possibly win this game. We're going to throw all the chips on the table, and we're going to play to win. And uh, Francona, he's been in this spot before. He's been in a lot of postseason games. He's a, he's a World Series championship manager. This is a... This is the best manager in the game. When they rank all the managers right now that are left in the playoffs, you know, Frank Cohen has got to be absolutely number one. Madden is the, uh, the fun. He's the hot pick right now. But Madden doesn't have a World Series, uh, you know, to his resume. Uh, Frank Cohen does. And Frank Cohen has got it doing some very, very special things. And, um, you know, what he's done with that whole staff, how he's got those young guys playing as loose as they are. He's got the veterans playing with the leadership. This is a very, very fun team to watch, and you really got to give Terry Francona all the credit in the world. I never fault a manager for going with who he thinks is his best pitcher at the time, but Joe Madden brings in Chapman for a six-out save in, what was it, game three uh, last night in San Francisco, and Chapman gets lit up. How hard is it for a closer to come in when it's not for the typical three outs and you're asking them to do beyond what they normally do? It's, uh, 
it can be different. You know, it can be different for uh, closers. Um, but right now, they they want to be in that situation. And, you know, you really can't say that, uh, you know, him coming in in the eighth or, you know, whenever he came in is the reason why they lost that game. Um, you know, you think about it, the, the Chapman throws a fastball. He's, he's been thrown against these Giants hitters in the first two games. You know, they've seen him. You know, it, it, it's just one of those games where, you know, he goes out there and he uh, gives up a couple hits, a walk, and, you know, boom, it just it, it happens. Um, you know, it, you can't really think about it. In the postseason, you know, usually a closer during the regular season pitches off of energy and, uh, you know, adrenaline. In the postseason, every single inning is full of energy and adrenaline. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you got to give credit to the San Francisco hitters and not so much Chapman. But uh, what Joe Madden did, throwing him out there, that that's he's putting his best pitcher on the mound when he needs it. And he did that. So there's nothing on uh, Joe Madden's shoulders. It's just you really got to give the credit to the San Francisco hitters. San Francisco has now won 10 straight elimination games under Bruce Bochy. That is phenomenal. To me, it's obviously not a coincidence. When you're managing a team and they're on the brink What's the mindset, and how do you have that kind of success if you're Bruce Bochy? He does. I've been watching Bochy, you know, manage a lot over the years, and um, you know, Phil Nevin's one. You know, spending time with Phil Nevin. Phil Nevin, that's uh, Bochy's. Phil Nevin's mentor. He he does everything he can, you know, knowledge wise from uh, Bochy. Bochy make, makes it absolutely impossible for opposing hitters. He makes it as difficult as he possibly can every single inning, every single batter with his bullpen. So he brings his bullpen in. He makes it. He sits down and he like puts everything together. And he says, "How can I make it as difficult as possible for the team to score right now?" And he does that. You know, I I, I watch his bullpen all the time, and I don't. I, I I never saw that. You know, when I was a hitter, when I was playing a couple years ago. You know what what he's doing right now? Make how hard he makes it for opposing hitters. You know is is pretty impressive to me and um to me that's the that's the biggest uh, strength that he has uh, you know if anyone out there you know controls a bullpen uh you know as good as anybody it's bruce bochi and he's got some uh he doesn't really have some lights out closers he doesn't have those big name guys but he's got guys with good stuff and he knows when to put them in the right spot and knows when to take out a starter and uh that's that's the special trait about bruce bochi well, and it seems like the hitters, they just, you know, whether you start with Buster Posey or you go to Hunter Pence or Joe Panic, they just don't get rattled. They never think they're out of it. They don't pressure themselves. They just go up there and, and you know, it's amazing how they handle the pressure. This is a, this is a team that's been there before. Um, experience says a lot. And uh, you nailed it right on the nose. It, experience really handles nerves. Um, you know, I, I remember the, the first. Uh, postseason at bat you know i step up to the plate my knees are shaking you know it's a it's a common thing for these uh for the young guys who haven't been in those big moments you know the 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 moment can overwhelm you the the noise in the stadium um you know the attention that you get from the media before and after the games these are big moments and experience really helps you calm down in those uh in those positions uh but what this team does is it you know, they're not out there just swinging for the fences. You know, San Francisco is a really hard place to hit a home run. And they had success there, and they know how to have success there, and they do that by putting together good at-bats all the time. So when we watch the Giants play, they make it hard for a pitcher 
to getting out. You know, with two strikes, they really they choke up, they battle, and you know, they make it hard for them to strike them out. They make it hard for them to put them away. And you know, when you watch the Giants, that's a that's 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 a winning formula right there. And you do that one through nine, you put a lot of pressure on the pitcher over the course of the game, and it makes it really hard to beat that team. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Former Major League Baseball player Shelly Duncan is my guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Shell Dunk. He's now the manager of the Hillsboro Hops, an affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So you just mentioned something interesting. When you had your first at bat at Yankee Stadium, and you had a great start to your career, but walk me through your feelings. You are on the on deck circle. You're coming up to the plate. What was that emotion like for you? How were you scared? Were you embracing the moment? What was that like for you? <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was trying, I was really trying hard to, uh, not get caught up in the whole, the, the big emotions of everything. You know, I realized that I'm playing in a stadium I've never played before. I realized that, you know, the noise of the crowd is louder and everything. Uh, you know, just the, looking at the picture is different than I ever have. But I, so I really locked it in and focused on the simple things that, you know, I did every single day at AAA and everywhere else I played. And that was breathing, uh, you know, focus on seeing the baseball, little things. And, uh, you know, when I, when I did that, it, it took away from uh, the magnitude of everything and really calmed me down and made things easier. I've heard you tell the story about, you know, you get called to the pitcher's mound or you go to the pitcher's mound and you're in a meeting and A-Rod's there and Jeter's there <laughs> and Rivera's there and Posada's there. What was that like? I mean, you're sitting there around, you know, just some iconic players and you're there. What was that like? That was uh, uh, the coolest moment was um – you know, we're we're playing the Indians in Yankee Stadium, and we're about to get eliminated. And uh, Torrey comes out to the mound to make a pitch and change, and he's bringing in Mario and Rivera. So all the infielders go out to the mound, and there we are. There's Torrey, there's Posada, there's A-Rod, Jeter, Robinson Cano, and then there's me. <laughs> and I felt like, who's the one that doesn't belong, you know? And that was a... Uh, it was funny, but it was a it was a moment that I uh, I took a snapshot of and I kept it in my memory bank, and that's something that I'll always remember. You know, and uh, Tory's totally last pitch and change, and you know they're playing inner salmon, but you couldn't hear it because the whole stadium was chanting Joe Tory's name because they knew that he was about to get canned at the end of the season, and it was a very special place to play in and a very special moment. That's very cool. So you played against Big Poppy, David Ortiz. Uh, his last game was last night. Boy, what a great final year for David Ortiz. Oh, my God, right? Give me some memories of Ortiz since you played against him. You, I, People have heard this before, and this is true. Um, Ortiz is a Mr. Congeniality in baseball, the friendliest guy there is. You know, every day when the team goes out there for batting practice, David Ortiz comes over and gives every single player on the opposing team a hug. And makes, wow. You know, he makes him feel like that, like you guys are friends and boys. It's a, it's amazing, and um, you know he's got that positive energy with his uh, with his own teammates, and that's what makes him so special. And uh, you know, as an opposing player, and I kind of play with a different type of mentality. It's always kind of bugged me. All right, so I've always kind of like I, I never liked Ortiz's attitude. I always, you know, he's fake. You know, like I don't like this. It's all about him thing. You know, so I have this different different kind of picture of Ortiz. But when I step back, I really you got to really appreciate what he's done because you know this is a guy that uh, you know 
the Red Sox have had zero World Series in all those years, and look what he does, bringing multiple World Series championships to the Red Sox. He brings uh, an energy to the whole city that no one's been able to do in the history of the baseball franchise. You know, this guy has been great for baseball. He's been great for the city of Boston. He's been great for the Dominican Republic. And this, his whole career is special. And um, I sit back and I look at that, and I really appreciate who he is as a baseball player and as a person. Um, but just as a as a competitor, he's been one of those guys that's just I just don't know about him. But uh, you know, it's, uh, Boston's going to miss him, and I think the baseball world's going to miss him. Yeah, he definitely brought a lot of energy, and you know, I just remember him. Some guys rise to the occasion on the biggest stage, and whenever they were in the playoffs, whenever they were in the World Series, he always had his best for those moments. And to me, that's what I'll remember most about him, along with after the Boston Marathon bombing, getting out there on the field and giving such a heartfelt message to the fans and to the city of Boston. That's what they, that city needed at that time, and I thought he was the right guy to deliver that message. You're you're exactly right. He uh he's been the right guy for any moment that that uh team in that city has needed. And you know, yeah, there's some there's few guys in sports that we can say this about. You know, Michael Jordan was one of those guys. Tiger Woods was one of those guys. Um, Tom Brady's one of those guys that that they come up in these big situations and you just you see you no not again. They can't they can't do it again to right. the Tiger. No <laughs> chance he sinks his putt. You know, no chance. Michael Jordan, no chance. He's another game winner, no chance. But they always come through. And and Poppy was one of those guys. You know, whenever he you know had a huge at bat in the World Series, it was just no, no chance, no chance. It's just not supposed to happen. And then he does it. You know, and he's one of those guys that is just special. When those big moments come, they do rise to the occasion. And you know, I I wish I knew what it was about him that gave him that ability. But it is very special, and there's very few athletes out there that can do that, and he's one of them. So the Red Sox are eliminated. We've got Toronto and Cleveland in the AL. We're waiting to see who matches up in the NL. You said earlier in the conversation you like Cleveland to get it done. Uh, Who do you think matches up in the World Series? I think the Cubs match up. They're the best team out there. Um, They will uh, take care of the Giants probably tonight. Uh, You know, they've, they've got, you know, They've got a good bullpen right now. And I know last night it didn't work out for them, but, you know, they're a really good team offensively, defensively, and on the mound. Um, they're a better team than the Giants. Giants, it's really hard to uh, beat them at their place. Um, they've It's probably, uh, the, probably the best home field advantage in all of baseball is uh, San Francisco, the way those fans are, the, wow. the way the ball, the way that, you know, everything plays in San Francisco, uh, so it's going to be hard for them, but, you know, they're a better team. Uh, the Cubs are a better team than the Nationals and the Dodgers. Um, they're healthier. Um, they get a better opportunity, so I, I, I see them finishing this, going through and um, going to the World Series and matching up with the Indians. It's going to be a fun series to see uh, Toronto and uh, Cleveland. Uh, Toronto's got some experience from last year. They got a you know a lot of things uh, to get off their chest after uh, getting knocked out by Kansas City, but um, Cleveland, uh, they're a fun team, and they're playing with that fun, uh, fun, confident attitude. And you know, it's uh, it's going to be a good World Series. It's kind of neat. I was thinking about this today. Uh, Miller and Chapman get traded away from the Yankees, and here they are. They're going to be matching up against each other in the postseason. Wow! And those are you know, those are two big time pitchers, yeah. and um, they're going to have uh, two big time roles coming up. 
That's interesting. Well, I think Fox would love nothing more than to have a Cleveland-Chicago Cubs World Series. I know the Red Sox, they would probably like that. But, you know, here's two franchises, the Indians and Cubs, that have had, you know, decades and decades of futility and one of them would win the World Series, so that in itself would be a, a huge story. The Cubs ratings have already been enormous so far, doubling most of the other ratings of other games. Let's talk a little bit about your transition from player to manager. I really like how you manage. Um, I think you have a great way with communicating with today's ball player. but maybe tell us a little bit about what that transition's been like for you. It's a... Uh, um it's been a little different. Uh, the biggest thing was uh, learning to watch the game in a, with a different angle. Um, you know, as a player, you're so you know, consumed and focused on doing what you need to do on a daily basis to get yourself ready for a baseball game. And, uh, you know, then you go out there and you see the game from your position and you think about what I need to do, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, well, as a manager, you know, you're sitting in a dugout in the third base box and you're watching everything. And you're not only thinking – uh, about one person, but you're 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 thinking about the the big picture of the puzzle, and um, that was a uh, that was the hardest thing at first. Uh, you know, games a little fast uh, at the beginning, didn't know what to look at. Um, sometimes you you know you start paying attention to things you really don't need to look at, and you know you learn to uh, you know put that stuff aside and you know allow your coaches to do some work. Uh, so that's the hardest thing. Um, the relationship with the players is um something that I'm real comfortable with i've always found myself uh, as a player you know stepping into a natural leadership role and um you know really uh you know a good listener to the players what they need to do uh mo- what they how they need to get motivated to get ready for a game to uh you know to stay hungry over the course of the season uh, to go out there and play hard um as a player i always made sure that i was uh, i focused on doing the right the right thing every single day, do the little things right, because, you know, I've always believed that you can't tell somebody what to do if you don't do it yourself. And um, that was something I did as a player. So, you know, I'm confident that I can relay that message to guys these days and, you know, also empathize with how hard uh, this sport is. Hmm. And um, that's something that, you know, I think a lot of coaches and managers forget over the course of time is uh, how hard it is. And, you know, um, people do make mistakes. They make mental mistakes. They make physical mistakes. Sometimes they're tired and, you know, it's hard for them just to get up and get motivated. And um, that's that'll never go away. And, um, you know, once you think it's easy as a coach or manager, I think you start losing the players. And uh, the best coaches and managers I had are the ones that, you know, shared that same uh, – philosophy and um hopefully i can maintain that over the course of my career you grew up in a major league baseball clubhouse your dad a long time pitching coach how much did that help you not only as a player but now as a manager it, it helps me more than you can imagine you know even um still to this day we sit down and we watch every single playoff game together and you know we talk about everything from pitching changes to how to, how to attack hitters, and uh, he was one of the best at, you know, at all of that, and there's nobody better to, uh, you know, pick their brain about it. And growing up, it was the same way, um, you know, learning everything about the game from the pitching side to the hitting side and um, how to act as a professional, uh, how to play the game the right way. I had a, had a perfect role model, and uh, I continue to do so. 
few more minutes with Shelley Duncan. He played with the New York Yankees, Cleveland Indians, Tampa Bay Rays from 2007 to 2013. He's the current manager for the Hillsboro Hops, an affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can follow him on Twitter at Shell Dunk. What does Major League Baseball need to do to promote the game to a younger demographic? That's really hard. That's something that I've been working hard in my uh, local community to do. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I uh, I started re- I started um, seeing that registration numbers were dropping with youth baseball on the little league level, and um, I started seeing that club baseball was uh, was picking up. That club baseball was growing, um, but the overall growth of baseball was dropping. And you know, I was trying to figure why this is happening. I started noticing that we're losing we're losing the 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 younger fans. I hate I hate saying this, but I, I always call them the the fat Tommies. You know, <laughs> we're the fat Tommy that plays right field. You know, on the Lily team that will not have a career in baseball. He won't make the high school team. He won't um, you know play very far. But he loves the sport. He loves to go out there and play with his friends. Okay. You know, and that's that's how I grew up. You know, we grew up in a, a little community where you know everybody loved to play. And we would have those fat Tommies, you know, on our team, and we loved them, embraced them, and we would go play pickup games with them in our backyard and wiffle ball and stuff like that all the time. And they fell in love with the sport. So the more these you get, the more as they get older, you know, the more fans you have to the game. So the overall goal is is to really get um, young kids at the at the young level. Uh, I don't mean like ten, eleven, twelve. I mean five, six, seven, eight, to fall in love with the sport and play the game. But what we're having a hard time with is is uh, getting good instruction out there. I think right now um, there's a lot of coaches out there that with these club teams and stuff like that are trying to win baseball games. They're trying to you know make their team the best, go to tournaments, do all this stuff, rather than put these young kids in an environment to have fun, uh, teach them to have fun. I'm going to tell you the truth. Um a baseball game for a youngster where you have nine players out there and you take turns to hit every single time with everybody, that can be pretty boring. Like, it really can be. But the fun stuff is when you get uh, small numbers of kids, a small group of kids together, and you're playing three flies up, uh, three flies up um, you're playing home run derby, you're playing pickle, you're playing these mini games where you're constantly active, but it's baseball. That's fun. That's fun. And as they get older, they get more engaged, and the attention span starts to grow, and they can play real full games. So I think we're missing out on that, on the on the young side. Uh, I have two four-year-olds right now, twin boys. Um, what can they do right now? They can play soccer. Uh, so that's about it. Soccer's really taken, um, it's, it's taken away the three-, four-, five-year-old kids because they've done a great job at creating an environment for these kids to go out there and have fun and play a sport and be active. Baseball needs to do that, you know, not just t-ball and games, but put together little youth programs where kids can go out there and learn to throw a baseball. They can just hit a ball around. They can run around chasing the ball. It could be, you know, hand-eye coordination with throwing up a balloon or something like that, just little fun games that transition into baseball at some point where they start learning to love the sport. Take them out there and just throw wiffle balls and see how far they can hit it. Kids love that. They don't need to go out there and play t-ball. T-ball can be real destructive to the growth of a game if it's not fun. And uh, I think that's it really is the bottom level of 
the, the long-term success of baseball is getting these three, four, five-year-olds to fall in love with the sport and have parents sign them up to play that instead of the other ones. I just think today's young person, you know, I, I always say that Twitter has given us a 140-character mentality, right? We have ADD. Right. We don't pay attention to things. Baseball games, I mean, my gosh, some of these playoff games have been four-and-a-half, five-hour games. And I don't know that today's young person has the attention span to watch a game. And then, like you were saying, some of them don't have the attention span to play the game. So I think baseball has got a real challenge. I don't think they're they're growing the game the right way. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I thought what they did a few years ago, they had something called the MLB Fan Cave in New York. And it was great. When players were in town, they stopped by, they did interviews, you got to see the personality of Mike Trout or Clayton Kershaw. We got to know the player a little bit. But what they did is they had these cave dwellers there who were tweeting out constantly, posting on social media, and it drew in a younger demographic of fan. I think when people think of baseball now, they think of the old white guy who is sitting back on the couch watching the game and the game hasn't grown with the younger demographic, and I think that's going to be a real problem for Major League Baseball down the road. I, that's a that's a great point. Um, absolutely, all of it. You know, one of the things you, know, you said is the attention span. You know, we're we're in a generation now where you know you can't go anywhere without you know checking out your phone or you know doing something like that. I mean, we can't even drive now without doing three or four things at once. And you know, baseball is one of those sports that. You know, it is a little slower pace than the other ones. You know, we, uh, you know, there is time in between pitches. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on, and you know, baseball is doing a good job at trying to, you know, add a little bit of, you know, fun to it with, you know, all the stat cast and all the, you know, the fun little uh, ways to watch it on TV. You know, sometimes it's hard to watch it on TV. You know, going to a game is different. You know, going to games like entertainment, right? Um, you know, we go to a game and you can go sit down, you go get some hot dogs, you get some fun food, you can, in between innings, you can walk around the ballpark, go up to the kid area. That's like an entertainment. But watching game on TV, you know, that's, sometimes it's really hard to do. Um, it can be boring. And, but what you see is if you can create a fun way to watch the game on TV where kids can, I always go back to the kids. I always believe they're the, they're the root of everything. If kids want to watch TV, the next thing you know, they're going to watch a game on TV, and if they love it, they're going to go grab their wiffle ball bat, and they're going to go in the backyard, and they're going to want to play. Right. You know, that's that's always how it goes. So you, you need to create this product on TV that's fun to watch. And, um, you know, you, you really nailed it. The attention span thing is, is hard. It can be boring. Um, and uh, it's one of the uphill battles that baseball is uh, facing right now. This is a sports business show. You did not make A-Rod money during your playing career. How do you stretch out your money knowing that, okay, I, I'm probably never going to get that contract that pays me $20, 25000000 million a year. My career span in your case was you know 2007 to 2013. Great career, better than most, but you didn't have a 20-year playing career. When you go into it, do you say, look, I've got to save my money and make this last because you see the athletes all the time who go out and I'm getting the fancy cars. I'm going to buy the big house and they're not thinking long term. It's uh, you know, there's there's a couple things. When you're young, it's hard to uh, 
not get caught up in things. Uh, you know, even a minor league or a uh, you know a minimum wage salary in the big leagues is five hundred thousand dollars a year, and that's that's a big chunk of change when you get a paycheck that's like twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars every time you get it, and um, it can get, it can be really easy to get caught up with the Joneses. Uh, you know, during the season, you want to go out there and you want to buy new suits, you want to buy new things. As a young guy, you see a lot of people do that. Uh, what's important is to, um, you know, be able to stash some of that away because in the off season, the players don't get paid. And you don't want to run through that in the off season as well. So, you know, you, you want to have some good people around you to, you know, put off a nest egg. And you want to be able to put that away and you want to find uh, some, uh, you know, good ways to uh, reinvest that money. And um, if it's, you know, through the stock market, you know, put some away there where you can hold on to that long term. Um, you know, one thing, uh, you know, that's uh, popular to do and I like to do right now is, um, you know, take some of that money and, you know, do private loans with it. Uh, you know, find some safe people, some safe things where, you know, you can get some uh, interest back, you know, so you almost, you know, giving yourself another paycheck avenue and you just, you have that chunk of change and you don't worry about it. And, you know, you you add that to you know, the interest uh, to living off of and take, maybe take some of that and, you know, save it away so you can grow that other stuff. Uh, there's different ways to do it. And a lot of people, you know, like to handle their money their own, and a lot of people like to give it to professionals to handle it. Um, you know, it's different. But baseball has done a really good job at, you know, helping players with uh, pensions and savings and, and um you know, that's uh, made made some players uh, pretty safe in the long run as well. How long do you have to play Major League Baseball to qualify for their, their benefits and pension? One day. Really? It's percentage. Um, wow. You know, one day you're, you're, you're getting uh, 0.1% or whatever it is. Uh, four years, you're getting about 40%. You know, it maxes out at 10 years. So 10 years is max pension. Hmm. And um, that's what everybody shoots for is that 10-year mark. And uh, they, it's probably the best pension in you know, the whole world. Uh, so every baseball player wants to, uh, wants to shoot for that 10-year mark. That's great. Before I let you go, I know you became an avid hiker, or maybe you were a hiker before you came up to manage the Hillsboro Hops. But uh, I know after the season ended, you tackled – Mount Rainier. What was that like training to hike Mount Rainier and then hiking Mount Rainier? That's uh training was fun. Um it gave me an opportunity to hike a bunch of cool places in the northwest and uh you know, trail run some of those places, a lot of hours in the gym building up those legs. Um but when the season ended I went up to uh Rainier National Park and I, I stayed there for about a week before I did that uh did that climb and I, I camped out the whole mountain is that place is absolutely beautiful it was um stuff that you think you only see in pictures and it's mm-hmm. real out there and um had some great experiences um spending time out there and you know when uh then some storms came and when the hike came it was a it was a tough one but it was fun you know it was just the initial hike up to camp mirror which was uh you know five or six hours and you know, then the next day we hiked up the Ingram Flats, and then the, the, the summit day it was too much snow, so uh, you know the, the group couldn't make it to the summit because um, we had too much weather uh, problems. But it was some of the best views I have ever seen in my life. Some of the you know scariest little things of you know you're 
you're walking on these uh, cliffs with these crampons, you know, just taking a step on ice one after the other. And, you know, you look down and then you get these huge bottomless crevasses that are just sitting there waiting for you if you fall. Uh, it's it's um, some gut-wrenching stuff, but it's it's an experience of a lifetime. And, you know, uh, one day I want to uh, hop back and do it again, um, maybe find some new challenges in the meantime. And, you know, stuff like that is a lot of fun to do, uh, see things you've never seen before. And, you know, part of the fun is uh, the work up to it as well. So it's something I'd love to do again. You live in Arizona during the off-season. Uh, there's some good hikes there, too. Oh, it's a completely different view. You know, um, you know, you got all the trees in the mountains in the northwest, and you have some mountains down here, but you don't have the the trees like you do. But you do have the uh, cliffs and the canyons and the desert and uh, some beautiful waterfalls as well. And you just got to go out and find them. And this is a completely different scenery uh, than anywhere in the country, and it's something fun to go to every winter. Have you done Grand Canyon? I have not done Grand Canyon. I grew up in Arizona, and I have not done Grand Canyon. You know what? I grew up in Arizona. Yeah, I grew up in Arizona, too. I grew up in Phoenix, and you went to University of Arizona. It's on my bucket list. We may have to figure out a way to to pull that off. That would be (laughs) – I mean, I've really always wanted to do that, and I know it's super hard. I'm not trying to, like, say, hey, like, I could go do that tomorrow. I know I'd have to train for it, but that would be amazing. It would be be a fun one to do, wouldn't it? It would be a lot of fun. So before I let you go – Play Catch with an All-Star. It's an initiative that you've been doing. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Oh, it was a this group of guys down here in Tucson, um, you know, put together this event, which is it's just pretty cool. They're, they're trying to uh, get parents and kids out there and involved in the sports. But one of the big problems is, is that, you know, when kids get to ages six, seven, eight, and they haven't played sports before, it's hard for them to get involved, especially if, you know, maybe the parent doesn't know much about it. So what they did is, uh, you know, they put together an event where they have uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, and volleyball. And the kids and the parents come out there. And you're not only uh, teaching, it's a, it's a clinic not for the kids, it's for the parents as well. So you get the parents out there and the kids, and you're teaching people who are brand new to a sport, who maybe have never played it before but have, you know, interest in playing it, you're teaching them the fundamentals. The fundamentals are so important for uh, every single kid to start a sport because, you know, that leads to success. And uh, success is what gives you the motivation to keep going. A failure is a very hard thing for, uh, you know, kids these days. That's why I encourage parents to uh, consistently put their kids into positions to have success when they go out there playing a sport. If it's basketball, you know, don't just start shooting the ball up real high. It'll discourage them. If it's baseball, don't give them a real heavy bat to swing with because it'll, they'll, it'll be hard for them. You know, do things where they have success and it makes it easy. Then they start falling in love with the sport. So play catch with an officer was a great event to get the parents involved, you know, to teach them the fundamentals so they can continue that at home. And uh, it's something that, you know, is, uh, you know, is great being a part of. And, you know, hopefully uh, parents can really catch on and this event can uh, grow every year. Fantastic as a player, I think a bright future as a manager and ambassador for the game of baseball, and a great hiker as well. Shelly Duncan, follow him on Twitter, at Shell Dunk. Shelly, this has been fun. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. It's awesome. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Sprinkler, after this. Oh. 
Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl 50 broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage and beat last year's record before halftime? And then nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events? Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago Soldier Field and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks to our guest, Shelly Duncan. Follow him on Twitter at Shell Dunk, D-U-N-C. Our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank, thank you to them. Thanks to our friends at Sprinkler for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. We hope to have some exciting announcements about not only one, but possibly two upcoming roadshows in the near future. Stay tuned for that. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes. You can also find our show on Audio Boom, on the TuneIn Radio app, and the Stitcher app. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes.com for 2015. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you right here soon on Sports Business Radio. Hello, everyone. Mark King here, president of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens competing in sports, business, and life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport, both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen.